Wow, the greatest tragedy of the Christmas life, uh, Christian life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. That's powerful. Turn with me, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to be looking at verses 11 through 14 as we continue to prepare our hearts spiritually for these days of renewal. And remember, just because we have dates on the calendar doesn't mean we're going to experience a movement from God. We have to be prepared as His people to receive His blessing of revival. And remember two facts about revival. Revival is supernatural. True revival is supernatural. God in His sovereignty decides when to open the the windows of heaven, when to blow the wind of the Holy Spirit, when to send revival. We can't program it. We can't manufacture it. We can't calendar it. We can't orchestrate it. Yet if we prepare properly, we can set ourselves individually and as a church and prepare ourselves to catch the winds of revival when He sends those winds of revival. Let's review our definition of revival. We looked at this last Sunday morning. I want to make sure that if you missed last Sunday that you got this. Revival is a God-initiated, God-sent encounter with His mighty presence that returns His people to spiritual health, vitality, and a deeper love for himself. Let's leave that up there for just a moment as I continue for a moment. True revival is heaven sent. It's God anointed. It's Holy Spirit energized. But not only that, second true revival is for the saved. The lost need regeneration that brings salvation. The saved needs revival and renewal and awakening. You see, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I find myself, by human nature, we are prone to wander, aren't we? We're prone to get attracted to the things of this world. We're prone to be enticed by, by Satan's snares and his temptations. And you wake up one morning and you realize, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. We're like those wandering sheep who need a shepherd. The shepherd hasn't moved. The sheep are the ones who, who have moved. And revival calls us back to a stronger commitment to God. Revival awakens us from our spiritual slumber. Revival attacks spiritual apathy in our lives. In our Second Chronicles passage, Solomon had just completed the temple. It took seven years to build this beautiful house of God, and it was dedicated. And as it was dedicated, fire fell from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices. The glory of God was so thick, the presence of God was so noticeable, the priests could not enter the temple. It was a very powerful moment. A very powerful moment. It was a great celebration of a major accomplishment, and God decided to show up in a very spectacular way. In that context, God shared these words with His people. And I'm just picking it up partially as we look at Second uh, Chronicles 7, beginning in verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then 
will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, before we uh, dig into this, I want you to notice this little word, if. This is a statement of condition, a conditional statement. God promises to hear from heaven, to forgive our sins, to heal our land, if we do certain things. If our failure, our failure to follow God's conditions for revival can hinder revival from happening. In other words, we're praying and pleading for revival, but we can get in the way of revival. We can be a hindrance to revival because there are enemies to revival. So what are those enemies? What is our strategy to attack these enemies? Well, we need to be aware of these enemies, first of all. So what are they? First of all, pride hinders revival. Pride hinders revival. God said if He was going to send revival, then we must humble ourselves. That's the starting point. We've been talking about that ever since we began this series of uh, uh, I called early on quest for revival, beginning in Psalm 51, when we looked at, at the seriousness of sin. We've got to be humble to, to acknowledge the sin in our lives. The Old Testament word translated humble means to bend the knee, to bring down, to place oneself under another. To humble ourselves means to, ad- to admit that we need God and that we are not where we ought to be in our relationship with God. We're not where we should be spiritually. To humble ourselves means to admit that we can't live this life in our own strength, that we need His power and His might and His wisdom. To humble ourselves means that we place ourselves under God's authority. Are we willing to place every part of our lives under God's authority and seek first His will and seek first His kingdom as we put Him first? What what keeps us from doing that? Our pride. Our pride stands in the way of, of, of putting God first. Pride blocks the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Pride blocks revival. You know what pride is? Pride is thinking more of ourselves and our abilities than we think of God. You may want to write that down. Thinking more of ourselves and our abilities than we think of God. It's thinking too highly of ourselves. Pride says, ultimately, I don't need God. I don't need this revival. I don't need these sermons. The preacher's not talking to me. I hope those other people are listening because they sure do need this sermon. That's pride. Pride is always right. Pride refuses to to listen. Pride refuses to follow directions. Pride will not take correction. Pride is not grateful. Pride thinks it deserves everything that it possesses. Pride causes a critical spirit that puts others down. Pride causes us to build ourselves up. Pride is dogmatic and has to have its own way. There is no reasoning with pride. Do any of these reflect what's going on in your life? Are any of these hitting close to home? If you're sitting here saying, 
I'm pretty pleased with where I am spiritually right now. I, I, I don't know if I really need this time of renewal. Then you may want to check your pride. Humility says, God, I need you. I long for you. I'm thirsty for you. I need you badly, God. I really, really, really need a fresh touch from you. Now remember, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble, Scripture says. Pride hinders revival. Humility positions us for revival. If my people which are called by name by my name shall humble themselves. Pride is an enemy of revival. But not only that, second, prayerlessness hinders revival. Shall humble themselves and pray. When we humble ourselves, we realize how desperately we need God. We turn to God in prayer and, and plead for God to show Himself to us and to intervene in our situation, to intervene in our lives. We realize, as Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without, without me, you can do absolutely nothing. Prayerlessness is rooted in the sin of pride. We may not pray because we're spiritually slack and we're undisciplined and we need to strengthen our prayer lives. We may not pray because we're too busy, as the video said. We may not pray because we don't understand the importance of prayer. But when it comes right down to it, when you peel all of that away, we don't pray because we think we can get through life without God. We think we don't need God. Prayerlessness rejects God's strength and God's power and it relies on our own power and our own strength and our own wisdom to figure things out. Prayerlessness slaps God in the face and neglects the power of heaven in our lives. Prayerlessness is the enemy of revival. Prayerlessness keeps us worldly instead of godly. Prayerlessness is a sin because we deliberately disobey God's commands in Scripture to pray and to grow in our prayer life. Alan Carr said, we pray for a few minutes and think we're ready for meeting. We recite our list to the Lord and make our request for our fleshly material desires and we think God is going to move in a mighty revival power. We have to come to the place where we sacrifice our pride on God's altar, declare our utter helplessness, and cling to Him until He moves in power in our lives and in our church. Wesley Dewell said, I shared this Wednesday night with the folks who were here for our Wednesday night prayer time. I hope that you'll join us this week at 6.30. God requires more than casual repairs, uh, prayers for revival. He wants... His people to hunger and thirst for His mighty working. To seek God's face is far more than occasionally mentioning revival in prayer. Folks, every time revival has come, humility and praying, even in, amongst a small group of people, sincerely seeking God's face, sincerely seeking God, have preceded God's mighty movement of His Holy Spirit. Humility and prayer go hand in hand. A.T. Pearson said, there's never been a revival in any country or locality that has not begun in united prayer. Great movements of God are preceded by fervent prayer. I want us to look at one example this morning, if you'll turn there with me, to the book of Jonah. You go to the Psalms and turn right. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. One of the minor prophets. It's a minor prophet with a major message. The book of Jonah... 
beginning in chapter 3. And I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decrees of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from his violence that is in his hands. Notice what's going on here. What was present? You see humility in verses 5 and 6. All this business about putting on sackcloth, removing his royal robes, that's a symbol of of mourning. That's a symbol of sorrow. That's a symbol of humility. They, They were hit in the face with their spiritual condition and they were broken over it and they mourned and 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 wore sackcloth as a symbol of humility. And then we see in verse 8 that they cried out. Every person cried mightily to God. They prayed. That's just one one little example of many examples in Scripture of revival coming. How much time are we putting into praying for days of renewal? Are we taking a casual approach? Are we really, really putting some energy into praying? Don't let our prayerlessness block or hinder revival. Third, misplaced priorities hinder revival. Misplaced priorities. God said, seek my face. Now listen carefully. He did not say, seek revival. He did not say, seek an event or seek to be entertained. He says, seek Him. Seek Him only because only He is all we need. The word seek means to search out with great energy and effort, especially by worship and prayer. To seek Him means to make God the primary focus of our lives. This is a call to stop looking for fulfillment and purpose in every other pursuit in life because only God can ultimately satisfy our life. Only He satisfies. So seek Him. Don't seek God because of what God can do for you. Seek Him Himself. Don't seek His power. Don't seek any other attribute alone. Seek Him. He wants us to know Him. Then we come to know His attributes. Then we see how He works. Then we get to know His ways. He wants us to seek Him. He wants us to know Him, not just know about Him. He wants us to love Him for who He is as we seek Him. Revival doesn't come to those who seek revival. Revival comes to those who seek God. That's why God said, and seek my face. You remember what God's word was to the church at Ephesus? 
Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, you know what it says. I have this against you, that what? That you have left your first love. Have we left our first love? The Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us back to our first love. We know that we've been spiritually awakened when we place Jesus back into first place in our lives and He stays there and our life is completely focused and centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think about our priorities for just a moment. You can can determine your priorities by answering these three questions. On what do I spend most of my time? On what do I spend most of my money? Second question, set of questions. On what do I place my focus most of the time? Where's my focus? Third question, where does Jesus fit into your life? Where does Jesus fit into my life? What kind of energy and focus and priority are we giving Him? A revival emphasis like we're having can help us reorder our priorities and and fix our focus back on God completely. I I hope that you'll have your calendar clear, that you will be prayed up, that you will be committed to be here every service, ready to hear from God because God wants to move powerfully in your life and He wants to move powerfully in the life of this church family. Yes, I want us to be here. Yes, I want us to be prayed of. Yes, I want us to be eager and open and ready to hear God's Word. But more than that, I want us to be desperate for God. Desperate to meet God. Vance Havner used to say, the reason America doesn't have revival is because while the situation is desperate, the saints are not. We're too busy, too complacent, too apathetic, too self-centered, too involved, too spread thin to be desperate. We don't have time to be desperate. Yet our nation is crumbling around us. This world needs a Savior. Jesus came and died on the cross for every person in this world. And there are folks who need to hear that because they've never heard. We have zero desperation. And zero urgency. How desperately are you seeking God? How desperate do you need a fresh touch from God in your own life? Fourth, presuming on God's grace hinders revival. God said we must turn from our wicked ways. Do we consider ourselves wicked? I mean, we are good people, aren't we? I mean, we work hard. We have high moral standards. We do good deeds. We help people out. We're regular in our church attendance. What about, what about our sin? We may not think that we are wicked. But let's remember what sin is. The New Testament word for sin is missing the mark. We examine these three words in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. One of the words for sin means rebelling. When we rebel against God because we go our own way instead of God's way, that that is sin. God has set a standard of holiness. When we sin, we fall below that standard. Sin is rooted in outright, outright rebellion against God. We are called to flee from our sins and to pursue holiness, to pursue Christ-likeness. Yet we presume on God's grace. How? 
Well, in at least three ways. First, we presume on God's grace when we take sin lightly. We've hit this real hard in recent weeks. Do we play around with sin? Do we realize how dangerous sin is? Part of pursuing holiness is waging war on the sin that we're exposed to, on the temptation that comes into our lives, and God's power over overcoming temptation and fleeing from sin. We need to recognize that even though we're saved and even though we're striving to live for Jesus, we still have that tendency to sin in our lives. And, and, and we may even enjoy sinning. Folks, it's a battle every day to live a life of holiness and to live a life of excellence. That's why the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. We take sin lightly when we don't recognize that battle. When we're oblivious to the spiritual warfare that we're in. To how Satan's attacking us every day. Or, we don't think that flirting with sin is, oh, that bad. We just want to play around. We don't think it's going to impact our lives. We're just, you know, just like playing with fire is harmless. Someone else will get burned, but not me. We like to see how far we can go without really going all the way, don't we? But that is a dangerous game. In February of 2010, there was a tragedy at SeaWorld in Orlando while tourists were eating lunch at a daily event called Dining with Shamu. Tilikum, a normally gentle orca whale, grabbed her trainer and pulled her underwater and drowned her. In a similar tragedy, a Siberian tiger named Tatiana attacked her keeper at the San Francisco Zoo in December of 2006. Parents and children were standing there when the tiger grabbed onto the trainer's arm. We forget these creatures are still wild animals and can turn on us at any moment. As animal behaviorist David Salmani puts it, you can't get the wild out of a cat just because he's in a cage. Billy Sunday put it this way, one reason sin flourishes is that we treat it like a cream puff instead of like a rattlesnake. Folks, we can't tame our sin. And to play around with sin is a presumption on the grace of God. To say our sin is not that serious is a presumption on the grace of God. Second, we presume on God's grace when we compare our sin with the sin of others. We rank our sin. We rate our sin and then we compare our sin to deeds of others and we say things like, hey, I may be a sinner, but at least I don't do such and such. Fill in the blank. Which sin comes between us and God? Our little sin or their big sin? It all comes between us and God. It all hinders our fellowship. It all blocks revival. God doesn't see sin as big sin and little sin. He hates any sin in our lives because any sin hurts our relationship with Him. Jesus died for all the sins, not just the big sins. That's why any sin is offensive to God. It cost His Son His life. Third, we presume on God's grace when we fail to confess our sin. Part of our prayer time should be confession of sin, acknowledging our sin, putting it out there. We look at a holy God and we see His splendor, then we look at our lives and see how far we fall short of being like God, and we say, as Isaiah said, Woe is me! 
For I am a man of unclean lips. We must take a hard look at our lives and examine our hearts and examine our lives and examine our priorities and confess those things that are not pleasing to God. What did God say? Turn from your wicked ways. Seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. Change your life. Change your mind. Flee from your sin. Pursue holiness. Acknowledge your sin. Confess. Repent. In the early 1970s, Jack Taylor was pastor in San Antonio. And he and his members had been praying for revival. And revival broke out in that church on a Sunday morning when Jack Taylor was on vacation. The student pastor was scheduled to preach that morning. And he, he had his sermon all planned out. He, he prayed over it. He had, he'd thought over it. He'd prepared. But when he stepped into the pulpit, he sensed that God wanted him to forget his prepared message. And instead, he preached a three-word sermon. He walked into the pulpit and he said, Repent! 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 And the people started standing. One over here. One up there. Another over here, confessing their sin. Sharing their hearts. And Taylor said, all heaven broke loose as true revival fell on that worship service. Let me ask you something. What will it take for true revival to fall on us, folks? What will it take for God to send revival to us? Are we willing to turn from our pride? Are we willing to make concerted prayer, united prayer a priority? Invest in prayer? Are we willing to seek God? Are we willing to reorder our priorities? Are we willing to, to repent of our sin and to turn from our wicked ways? Folks, revival normally doesn't come to the masses. Usually it comes in personal renewal to an individual, to a group of folks who have the same burden, and they, they come together. And there's example after example after example of folks gathering to pray for revival and revival breaking, up in the, breaking out in that small group. Revival doesn't depend on our getting right with God. Revival depends on each of us taking responsibility for our spiritual lives and getting ourselves right with God. When it comes down to it, we're going to get about as much revival as we prepare our hearts to get. If we come to this revival effort with a hard heart and a critical spirit and a negative attitude and a closed mind, then I doubt very seriously we'll get much out of this revival. However, if we come with a broken heart, with a mournful spirit, with a burden for our spiritual life, with a burden for the spiritual life of our church, with a sense of expectancy, with a, with a sense of anticipation, with, with utter desperation, then we might get a fresh touch from God if we're truly seeking His face. So which one of these four enemies this morning is present in your life, and what are you going to do about it? What step do you need to take in your life to, to better prepare yourself for revival so that, that, that you won't be the hindrance that blocks God from sending revival? So we won't be the hindrance. The starting point is knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave His Son for you. He died for you so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can be right with God, so that you can have a place in heaven, so that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. Will you accept Jesus Christ as Savior? We want to talk to you about that this morning. If you'll see me at the end, if you'll reach out to me by email, if you're watching online, we want to talk to you about this most important decision. But there are next steps you can take. If you've accepted Christ, have you been baptized, scripturally baptized by immersion? Is your church membership elsewhere and God is saying it's time to move membership in the life of this church? What is your decision for the Lord this morning? Father, we pray that none of these enemies to revival will be present in our lives. That we can truly, sincerely, genuinely prepare our hearts for revival. And Lord, that you would send a revival and let it start with me. We pray for decisions, Lord, that need to be made today. That we'll have the courage to step up and step out and make those decisions for Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.